Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About History, the podcast where two longtime gal pals chug wine and chat about women in history you may not have heard of. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And we're going to pair some fine-ass ladies with some fine-ass wine today. Heck yeah. And it's our 10th episode, so we're really excited. You know, we're moving along. We're still here. Two hands. Woohoo! I think in our first episode, I said something how I wouldn't be able to count after 10 because I ran out of fingers. Yeah. So now I don't know what episode we're ever doing again. Yeah, after this. It's just, just going to be a blur of badass babes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we're just, oh, we're on episode something. Something past 10. So in our Mother's Day episode, we had some like crossed wires and we were like, hey, we're going to like communicate better and plan stuff. But all we really did to plan for our 10th episode is like, well, we're going to do like fun stuff associated with the number 10. Yep. So... I took that as I'm going to find a lady who has like a weird association with the number 10. And Kelly took that and did something a billion times better. <laughs> <laughs> so she, like she told me what she was doing. I was like, oh, shit, that is the coolest thing ever. I wish I'd done that. So I'm going to go first. But please stick around for Kelly because her shit is amazing. And then and she I, hasn't even heard it yet. I haven't. But I, I don't need to. I just I know who she is. Mm -hmm. And she delivers good shit. Why don't we start with the wine we're drinking? So I frantically ran around the local liquor store looking for a wine that had like the number 10 in it. Uh, it was like 10% alcohol. It was exactly $10 or 10%. Like I was looking for just something associated with the number 10. And I even Googled it like wines that have the number 10 in the name. And I couldn't find fucking anything. What I did find was this really cool-ass bottle of Pinot Noir called Liberation de Paris, which is like Paris callback to episode one. Yeah, right. And it's like – it's got these um, American soldiers on the front uh, posing with women like back from the 1940s in front of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, that's really pretty. So I assume they're French women, but I, I, guess, I, assume. I guess they could be like American nurses. Well – so I turned the bottle around to read the story and I thought it was going to be like funny or, you know, goofy. And it's actually really, really touching. So, oh my God. Okay. The label is like kind of an antique paper color. And then the text is like a dark gold. So I'm having a really hard time seeing this and reading it. Okay. So in whining about herstory fashion, I'm just going to read the back of the label. A smooth wine with hints of raspberry and cherry on the nose mixed with floral notes and spice aromas. The palate is rich and silky with an array of berry flavors. Now, that's not very exciting, but what I'm about to read is actually really cool. In August 1944, a convoy of U.S. soldiers liberated the small village of La Vicomte-sur-Rance in Brittany. The first jeep stopped to pick up a seven-year-old boy who was greatly impacted by the war. The U.S. soldier gave him a piece of gum and chocolate. The boy's eyes lit up and he smiled. Fraternal gratitude for the United States of America was born. That boy was my father, Joel Bonet. Since I moved to the USA, I have always wanted to create a wine that would represent the gratitude our family, the French people, and France have had for the USA. These wines come from our ter terriers? That doesn't sound right. T-E-R-R-O-I-R-S. 
terror, terror. That's a French word. Yep. I'm realizing, and I don't know what it means. Um, of France, maybe it's like their vineyards. Yeah, that's my guess. Okay, uh, of France, and are made with our caring savoir-faire. Sante, cheers, Jean Franck Bonnet, co-owner. Aww. So there's like a little letter about. That's How really his father was there for the liberation of this town in World War II. And so I was reading, expecting it to be funny. I was like, oh, this is actually really touching. <laughs> right. So, I mean, powerful note to start our 10th episode on. Yeah, and I'm also drinking about the first official, unofficial, whining about herstory wine glass. So Pretty my- bomb. It's pretty sweet. It just says whining about herstory in gold letters. My friend has one of those cricut. Cricket, cricket things yeah and uh so she made it for me because she has like, hand wash extra... only yeah hand wash only <laughs> <laughs> no i'm never washing this glass <laughs> that's that's gonna be gross it's just gonna collect 12, all of the Emily's wine flavors drinking mold. <laughs> <laughs> i can taste the wine for the last 10 episodes <laughs> and actually i haven't tasted this yet kelly did though i did so what are we cheersing to today Episode ten. Duh. Oh, okay, we're still I, here. We're still rocking. I we haven't given up else. yet. <laughs> All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Episode ten. Cheers. I don't want to break your p- pretty glass with my regular standard drinking glass. Oh wow, it's communion wine. Yeah, you're. You said it. You're absolutely right. This is communion wine. It's That's very dry. The first, the first sip I took, I'm like, oh, this is literally communion wine. Yeah. So now we know churches use Pinot Noir. Officially endorsed by the Catholic Church. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe we shouldn't say that. Hey, I went to Catholic school. I was confirmed. I get to say whatever I want. I earned it. (laughs) All those years. My saint name is Francis because I'm controversial. I think mine's like Lucille because that was like my boyfriend at the time's grandma. Plus, I've always really liked the name like Lucy. So I went with Lucille. Have you ever watched Arrested Development? Yes. Okay, Lucille the mother. Yeah. She is my hero. I saw this <laughs> I saw this meme online where it was um me watching an episode of Snapped yeah. where like the girl goes crazy and it was a picture of Lucille just going, Good for you, dear. And I was like, Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. So today I am covering in I mean we're talking about the Catholics. <laughs> I am covering St. Hildegard of Bingen. And I'm probably not saying that right, but I'm just going to go good. with it. She was a Christian mystic, visionary, and first sexologist? What? I know. Both sexologist and mystic don't vibe with what I think of as a saint. It's all going to make sense. Though. I know, but I'm just saying. You're right. You're right. I mean, honestly, I've never heard of a church sexologist. It'd be the we easiest job. It'd just be like, don't have sex. Just don't do Abstinence. it. <laughs> All right. So full disclosure, as far as our theme of the number 10, this might be a stretch. I googled women associated with the number 10, and I found a website that had just a whole list of like weird things with the number 10, and this gal popped up. So I'm not the I'm not like making this up. Like other people have been like, no, she's like the number 10 gal. So second note, a lot of this information comes from Hildegard's Vita or Holy Biography. And some of the information contradicts what other people's history says. So it's foggy. 
That tends to happen. Yeah, but th- this is just my understanding of the story. If yours is different, it's time to start practicing your patience and forgiveness now. Because this shit We're just write us, write us about it. This shit is foggy as fuck. Okay. In 1098, Hildegard was born as the 10th and final child to a noble family and therefore was offered by her parents as tithe, which means or like giving one tenth. Yep. And I highlighted literally every time the number 10 is yeah, in my word, the, my the way you're like doing your hand motions. I'm like, oh, I, she bolded these I letters. Needed, I needed the cue to just like <laughs> do my jazz hands because I got 10 fingers. <laughs> so she was given as tithe to the church when she was eight years old. Not 10. We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> just strap in and strap on. Strap in, strap on. Because <laughs> this saint's about to get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, giving your 10th child to the church was a common practice at the time, and this may have also helped her parents politically. As a child, Hildegard was sickly and experienced visions. Like, from the age of three, this little girl is seeing shit. This may have also contributed to her parents' decision to give her to the church. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we don't want to deal with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just shocked that enough people had 10 children where it was like, oh, yeah, this it's is a, a common practice to just give your number 10 to the church. I mean, yeah. Think about a lot of the women we've covered. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, nothing 11th to child, do. 11th child, 12th child. There's nothing to do but till the fields and fuck, man. So when she entered the church, she lived at the Monastery of St. Disabodenberg. During her time in the church, she was taught for 10 years by the holy woman, Blessed Judah. And with a first name like Blessed, she had to become a holy woman, right? Put up both. Okay, I literally put in my notes, pause for Kelly's disappointed face. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, should I tell this joke? Yes, because it's going to piss Kelly off. (laughs) I laughed a little. Together, Hildegard and Blessed Judah created a close-knit and growing community of women in a male-dominated monastery. Judah also taught Hildegard how to read and write and they would work together in the garden recite psalms and tend to the sick hildegard also studied music so like standard nun fair yes after 10 years of instruction at 18 years old hildegard became a benedictine nun when blessed judah died in 1136 hildegard was elected as the magistra or head teacher by her fellow nuns so did she then become like blessed hildegard like is that how you get that title? I don't know where Blessed came from. So, Blessed Judah, she's a saint too. Yeah. So maybe that's part of just her saint name. Maybe. Like, you know, as opposed to moderately blessed Judah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know how. The now name I like works. really want to go like look that person up and see if that was like actually her first name. Yes. I mean, okay, you know, like in uh in America, the was it the protestants no who came to america first quakers the quakers well okay i think it was pro the protestants because like so remember, protestant england remember like a long time ago this has nothing to do with protestants but a long time ago i mentioned like there was a guy that revolted against the christian church by pinning something like nailing his problems with the church to a door wasn't that uh, it was martin luther. martin luther we couldn't remember <laughs> at the time but i was uh one of my one of our 
close guy friends actually just started listening to our podcast and he listened to the first episode and he was at my house like the day after he listened to it and he's like just so you know that was martin luther and i'm like i know that i just couldn't remember at the time i'm actually glad you brought that up because when i was editing that episode i was like wasn't that martin luther but But neither of us know it was it was just that i didn't want to appear it was easier to be like i don't know instead of say the completely wrong thing oh no that was like buddha right (laughs) so just something correction of the first episode (laughs) so she was elected magistra uh or head teacher by her fellow nuns and she was also offered the position as a prioress by the monastery's abbot so he's like there's a prioress it's basically like a position of authority like there's a prior for men and then a prioress for women well i thought like the abbot was well the like she, per, she's like the like, high, the CEO of the convent or whatever. Yeah. So the abbot's like the manager and the prioress is like the assistant so essentially to the assistant manager. Like, okay. So the assistant manager is like the prior and then she's the prioress. Okay. okay. Yeah. I got this. This, this would have meant that she would serve under the abbot. Instead, Hildegard, wanting more independence for herself and the other nuns, asked that the abbot allow them to move from the monastery to a temporary dwelling where they would live in poverty. So they're basically in this, like, create a convent almost. Yeah, they're going to like go and create their own little monastery convent thing. When the abbot said no, Hildegard set, decided he may be straying and went over his head getting approval from the fucking archbishop. Wow. I hear what you're saying. I just don't think you're right. But no. <laughs> Which I'm like, what a badass thing for a nun in the 1100s to be doing. Right, just like, be like, no, I don't think you're following the teaching, so I'm going to go above you. Well, if she's, I mean, she just disagreed. She's like, mm, no, I want to do this, and I will make it happen. And I'm pretty sure it's within our rules. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Hildegard came down with a serious illness, which left her bedridden. She felt that the illness was God's way of showing his disappointment in Hildegard for not following the abbot's wishes. I don't really agree with that, but whatevs. However, she wouldn't relent. And the abbot finally caved and granted the nuns their own monastery. Stubbornness and paralyzing illness for the win. Putting it on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. First merch. So, in 1150, Hildegard, with 20 other nuns, moved to St. Rupertsburg Monastery. There, Volmar, a monk, acted as the prior and the father confessor, who is basically just a priest who hears confessions. Fifteen years later, Hildegard founded a second monastery for nuns in Ibingen. E-I-B-I-N-G-E-N. What country is this in? This is in Germany. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Like, 99% sure. Now, as I mentioned before, Hildegard had experienced visions since she was a teeny tiny child. She described these visions as, quote, the shade of the living light. She would experience her visions with all five senses and said that she saw all things through the light of God. The only one she shared her visions with was Blessed Judah, who in turn told Volmar at some point. I don't know. Because he didn't show up in the story until Judah was already dead. So, uh, but I'm assuming he, because that was the abbot, right? No, Volmar is a totally different guy. He's a monk, and he's acting just, as the prior he, of her yeah. monastery. Yeah, uh, he now. might. Have, he, I'm guessing maybe he just lived at the old monastery, and there's just no reason to mention him until he decided to move with her. Yeah, they just ran in the same circles. Yeah, you know, you're living in a monastery. There's not a ton of people to socialize with. You just, it's all the same people. It's like living in a small town. 
Yeah. Though she experienced visions all her life, when she was 42, she experienced a vision that she felt was God telling her to write down what she saw and heard. However, she was still hesitant to share her visions and became seriously ill and experienced horrific visions, which caused her to suffer. So it's like the visions doubled down. Like, you better fucking tell people about this shit. She confided in Volmar, who alerted the archbishop. A committee was formed to authenticate her visions, and a monk was appointed to help Hildegard record them. The collection of writings, known as the Sivius, or Know the Ways, held 26 visions that ranged from prophetic to apocalyptic and covered topics about the church, redemption, and the relationship between God and humanity. Wow. I wish I could read this. Because I'm like, okay, like, what the fuck did it say? Right? <laughs> like, we all hear about, um, oh, God, name begins with a D. He predicted a bunch of stuff. Not Da Vinci. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm drawing a blank. Someone yeah. is screaming at me. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the Sivius was split into three parts, reflecting the Trinity and contained illustrations she completed the three parts when she was in her 70s. So it was like three books. Yep. Now, beyond her holy visions, Hildegard had a great love of music and composed pieces, each with original poetic text. Uh, 70s still survive. So she was like working wow. hard. One of her better known works, the Ordo Vir Virtutum, or Play of Virtues, is a morality play compi comprised of 82 songs. While it addresses morality, it doesn't celebrate the church, making it the earliest known musical drama that is not attached to a liturgy. Wow. She's a nun, and she's, like, writing the first like, shit no, about gotta, not the church. <laughs> okay. Now I have titled this next section, The Part Where I Get Jazzed. Because I, I was really struggling with this research, because I picked her because of the association with 10, but I'm getting into it, and I'm like, okay, like, she sees visions, she wrote them down, like, it's cool, but it's not really, like, grabbing me. And then all of a sudden it hit me, like, full frontal in the face. So Hildegard didn't stop with her music and her visions. She also wrote about medicine and science. Her scientific and medicinal writings come from her experience working in the garden with Blessed Judah and caring for the sick along with her own independent study in the monastery library. Plus, like, how many times was she sick? Like, you know. Oh, Yeah. She's like, you guys aren't helping me. I'm just going to, like, cure myself. Right. Let me just perform surgery on my L tummy here. <laughs> that would have been a thing back then, right? Yeah, and she actually wrote about that and how, like, um, I think I probably mentioned this later, so I might repeat it, but the four humors, like, your sinuses, your phlegm, your blood, your water. I don't black. know. Black humor was the last one. I don't remember what that is. But, um. Because it's, like, black, yellow, red, brown. something else. Is, is Blue? shit a humor? <laughs> I mean, our humor's pretty shitty. I think it should be. <laughs> the fifth humor. <laughs> that's that's what toilet humor is. Yeah, it's shit go. humor. But she even, like, had ideas about when the best time it was to do bloodletting based on the phases of the moon. And, like, she, she got really, like, mystical and kind of hippy-dippy with that stuff. But, Grant, this is the 1100s. So, I mean... The, the like, most scientific minds were hippy-dippy as fuck because they didn't know anything. <laughs> So she explored topics including psychology, physiology, and woman's sexuality, making her one of the first people to do so. Though a lot of her assertions were unscientific by today's standards, 
For example, she wrote that a waxing moon is good for human conception because it was also good for sowing seeds. Again, this is the 1100s, well, like you know, sowing the male seed. Yeah, yeah, fertilize that egg. <laughs> waxing moon. If you guys are trying to get pregnant, waxing moon date night. And because this was the 1100s, Hildegard was hailed as an expert and counseled kings, emperors, and even the Pope, which was fucking mind-blowing at the time. Right. Like, women didn't do that. Women were not scientific medical experts. Hildegard was the first person to write a description of the female orgasm from the point of view of a woman. So probably the first accurate description, which is crazy because, like, has she even had one? She went into the church when she was eight. She's been living with nuns. She became a nun when she was 18. Like, I can't well, imagine they she's ever had sex. back then. Ma- Self-pleasure? Maybe they didn't outlaw that back then. I, I, I have a hard time believing I that. Because we're still pretty prudish about that shit. Uh, she also advocated that sex was a beautiful and passionate act. Aww. What? She wrote... When a woman is making love with a man, a sense of heat in her brain, which brings with it sensual delight, communicates the taste of that delight during the act and summons forth the emission of the man's seed. And when the seed has fallen into place, that vehement heat descending from her brain draws the seed to itself and holds it. And soon the woman's sexual organs contract and all the parts that are ready to open up during the time of menstruation now close in the same way as a strong man can hold something enclosed in his fist. Unquote. That was like. This is the 1100s, and she's, like, talking about sex. But it was still really funny. I love how she's describing like it, though. it's super poetic, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. Just when I think anytime anyone's like, oh, the seed, and it falls into play, like, I just... I mean, she wasn't going to be like, so, when a guy puts the his dick in, your in a lady's pussy, <laughs> when you get horny, and you get all hot <laughs> and bothered... Like, she's not going to say that. I don't know. That. Usually it's not in my brain. <laughs> it, it starts in the brain and then it moves directly to the crotch. <laughs> she even created, like, a map of the universe based on the vagina. This nun I kinda wanna see a picture of is that. getting crazy. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's really lovely. I'm like, can I have this painted on my headstone? This is amazing. All right. As, as the leader of your, your funerary cult, I'll yes! see that it's done. <laughs> I love all the callbacks we're organically working into this episode. <laughs> now, you don't need a vagina to be a woman, but vaginas have had a long history of being ignored and abused. So I love that a nun in the 1100s is talking about sex, talking about women's pleasure, and talking about vaginas. Because well, we still like the can't universe talk about vaginas. Centered on vaginas. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, I think the universe looks like a vagina, which honestly, it kind of does. Have you ever seen, like, the swirly nebulae and stuff you that doesn't the, look the like Milky a dick? Way? Well, I just... kind of looks like an octopus. But you know what I mean? That yeah. doesn't look like a dick to me. <laughs> this was pretty controversial at the time, considering that talking about the human body was deemed sinful and icky. Boo. Cooties. Cooties. None of this was meant to go against the church either. She wasn't being like, 
Catholic girl gone bad or anything, which is basically what I like, am. Basically, like, these are my observations. I'm going to write them down because my vision told me to write things down. Yeah, like, hey, women have, some women have vaginas. Why aren't we talking about that? <laughs> Why has no one written about this? 50% of the population has a vagina. The pugs are very upset about this. Mm-hmm. They have them. Yep. <laughs> So she thought people's passion and their sexuality was an exhibition of divinity, and she worked to expand the understanding of sex and its ties with religion. So she's like, there's not sex and then religion. It's like these things are intertwined because otherwise, why would we be having sex? Why would we have reproductive organs? Like this, if if God designed us this way, how is it not inherently spiritual? And the church has always said, especially the Catholic church, you know, if you have a full Catholic wedding... One of the lines in there is, you know, they literally say, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. Like, that is in your vows when you have a Catholic wedding. And you know why? Because they want everyone to give them their 10th kid. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the, but I mean, that, that's why they... Anymore. Except right? for the Duggars. Oh, my God. I don't even want to talk about that fucking family. <laughs> Moving that's on. too much. But, like, that's why the Catholic Church has historically been against birth control because you need more Catholics to, like, spread the faith. Like, exactly. I mean, honestly, it doesn't really have a place in our modern world. But as far as, like, it's very evolutionary. I mean, ironically enough, that's, right. like, you got to multiply. You got to have children and then bring them into the church. Right. Hildegard was curious, open-minded, and comp- a compassionate person. Shortly before her death, a man who had been excommunicated from the church had died and was buried at St. Rupertsburg Monastery. The clergy wanted to remove his body from the sacred ground because he'd been excommunicated. I mean, honestly, it sounds like a lot more trouble than it's worth, but whatevs. Uh, But Hildegard would not fucking hear of it, saying it would be a sin to move the man's body as he had been reconciled to the church at his time of death. She's like, let's just, like, show some compassion and, like, calm the fuck down. Like, he had his last rites. He's fine. When Hildegard died on September 17th, 1179, uh, upon her death, the sisters claimed they saw two streams of light appear in the skies and cross over the room where she lay, which is super cool. Though Hildegard was one of the first people to begin the canonization process to become a saint it actually took many attempts as the process was so fucking long for a long time she was stuck in stuck in the beatification stage which is where the church acknowledges that someone has gotten into heaven and can intervene on behalf of people who'd pray to them so basically a saint but they don't get their own feast day but it's like okay okay they definitely got into heaven and you can totally pray to them and they'll help you yeah in 2012 Hildegard was canonized on May 10th by Pope Benedict the 15th, and she was named a Doctor of the Church. That's cool. This title I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't either. I, Sorry to I interrupt, learned, but I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school for eight fucking years. Nine, I was confirmed. Nine over here. Uh, uh, I had kindergarten in there. <laughs> no, I did too, but I moved in seventh grade. Aww. Yeah. yeah, I went kindergarten through eighth grade. Oh, aren't you just so high and mighty? Woo, extra year in those kulaks. <laughs> that just means you're more broken than me. <laughs> we already knew that. Um, so this style signifies someone who has made a significant theological contribution through research, study, or writing. This made her the fourth woman of 35 total saints to receive this title. Wow. Boom. 
Her feast day is September 17th, which was the day of her death. And as a surprising little throwback to episode eight, the the art installation, the dinner party that we talked about that Carolyn Herschel has a place at. And that we have now started a blog series on. Yes. This this installation. So I thought it was a painting when you described it. I so thought I'm it was a painting like too. I didn't look. Supper. I didn't look it up before <laughs> I talked about it. And then when I started doing the blog, I was like, "Oh shit! This features thirty nine set places for women, like around. It's a triangle because that's a symbol of equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's thirty nine place settings um, over the three wings, each featuring a different section of history. And then there's a hundred and nineteen names inlaid on the floor." Um, which are like women that are similar to the women at the table. And like the honorable mentions. Yeah. And then there's like flags of like the women that assisted in this project. Like it's this whole thing. And I feel like we that's like we have to go. We do. We It, it is on our feminist trip list. We have a running might list. might have to be like top. Yeah. That might be our next trip. So Carolyn Herschel has a place setting in this yep. art installation. So this this installation is by artist Judy Chicago. Uh, it depicts, as you said, the place settings of 39 mythical and historical women. And it features a place for Hildegard. Which is awesome. I was surprised because I was like, I've never heard of this lady. Even like growing up in Catholic school, I'd now never I've, fucking heard of her. Now I have to figure her. out if I like actually, because I, I wrote the first blog today because today is the third. And I'm like. Was was she in there? And I just didn't notice. Like I'm just spacing because there were so many of them. Yep. Well, and if or is she in my next section. And uh, upon reading the list, so Carolyn Herschel we've covered has a place setting here. And upon reading the list of all the women, I also found that Artemisia Gentileschi has a place setting. And then you said Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut is on there. And then obviously Carolyn Herschel, which is the who got us into this right who told us about in the first place she reached through time and was like ladies the dinner party (laughs) so we have inadvertently covered three four of the 39 women represented in this artwork and i wonder if we've covered women who are on the floor and we've talked about we have virginia wolf has a place setting there we've talked about her a ton we haven't covered her she's just virginia wolf i feel like is so well known i want to cover more underknown women but at the same time, I really kind of want to cover Virginia Woolf because I love yeah. her so much. Well, she was one I was going to do a profile on, but I like I felt like just doing like a basic profile on her like wasn't enough because there is so much there. Right. I I might have to do it. I might have to do it. Yeah, maybe maybe for down. her birthday or something. Yeah. So yeah, that is Saint Hildegard. Now, now I'm looking up if she was in the wing. I did. I think. I don't Virginia think so. Wolf was in the last one. Yeah, because that's like the most recent. Mm-hmm. And I did some of these, like a lot of the mythic ones were in the wing I did today. And so that's why I was like, oh, was she in there? But she might have just made the list into wing, wing two. But Hatshepsut was in wing one. That's awesome. I love that. Well, before you d- j- dive into that, I don't like the look she's giving me. I have now. a special surprise because this is our 10th episode and I wanted to do something extra special for it. I wrote a list of 10 things that I love about you. Oh, now I feel yeah. bad. And you're going to cry. No, because your know. thing was awesome. I was like, thank God I did this. Otherwise, I'd look like a piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> so I'm just going to read them off and oh, watch okay. Kelly cry into her wine. So, number one, you are creative and talented. 
Like you've got so much stuff going on. You're creative with art. You're creative with your crafts and writing. And you always inspire me. Aww. I'm already like tearing up and you're one in. (laughs) This is getting real. The emotions are flowing. It's okay to feel your emotions, guys. It's okay to cry. Uh, You prioritize our friendship even when things get hard. Because we've been through some shit where where both of us are like sitting worried the other person's mad at us. And like, this is the end of the friendship. This is terrible. And then we just come back like... I just want to make sure we're still friends. Me too. And then we hug and like everything's Everything's okay. (laughs) Uh, You're incredibly strong. I don't think I could have put up with some of the shit that you've put up with and gone through. And it's just made you a more incredible person. And uh, you inspire me with your strength. I'm like, I got this. Kelly would get this. I got this. You've always supported me, especially in this fucking podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're independent. I mean, like, you don't need anyone. Like, the pe- – and I love that because it's it's not that you're a loner or anything. It's just that the people who are in your life are in your life because you want them to be there and because they feed you in some way. It's – you're not, like, clinging to anyone else to hold yourself up even though you have a really, like, strong support system. You're empathetic. You're always, like, trying to see something from someone else's point of view and we need a fuck ton more of that. You prioritize your mental health, which I admire so much because I have been neglecting mine really badly. But like knowing that you can go and like take care of yourself, I'm like, okay, I can do that too. You're snarky as hell and I appreciate <laughs> it because <laughs> we're always like picking on each other and being assholes I know, I have, to I each other. I have a coworker that actually calls me sassafras because she says I'm sassy. Sassafras yeah. Kelly. You bring joy to the other people around you. You're just like a source of joy and support. And like anyone can just come to you. You're the, you're like perpetually the drunk girl in the bar bathroom. You're like, honey, I love you. (laughs) I love your shoes. We got this. You're so beautiful. Like you're that lady all the time though, even when you're sober. (laughs) And you allow me to be myself because I can just sit there and kind of like go off on a fucking like tr- stream of consciousness and you're just right there for me and i really appreciate that Aww. and i love the hell out of you i love you too me. Me. all right now that i've made kelly cry it's I time know. for her shit i have to go into like something that's completely like not savvy so i did i mine's a two-parter and i have 40 minutes to finish nine pages all right let's do this oh my god nine pages yeah because it's two parts <laughs> i mean <laughs> I might that have would to, like, maybe be like skip six pages. <laughs> um, so the first part is I did things that have happened in women's history or firsts that have happened in women's history in the last decade. So 2009 to now. There's a lot. Number one is we graduated from high school. Woo! 2009! I met in college. Yeah, no, I should have. Everything I else is insignificant. I should have put, like, little things in here. Okay, so 2009. Hillary Clinton becomes the first former first lady of the United States to serve in the cabinet of the United States as U.S. Secretary of State under Barack Obama. Catherine Bigelow was the first woman to win the Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Director for The Hurt Locker. Which I didn't know a woman directed The Hurt Locker. I didn't either. Eleanor Ostrom was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in Economics. And since she was American, she was also the first American woman to do so. She did share the prize with Oliver E. Williamson, a man. Hey, that's Many men have won them. Yeah. Janet Napolitano was the first woman to serve as a Secretary of Homeland Security. 
Nancy Lieberman became the coach of the Texas Legends in the NBA Development League, which is an affiliate to the Dallas Mavericks, making her the first woman to coach a professional men's basketball team. Wow. Yeah, that's 2009. Kathleen O'Loughlin was the first female executive director of the American Dental Association. Apparently this list has a lot of American things, and I didn't really notice that. Um, Jeanne Shaheen became the first woman to hold the offices of U.S. Senator and State Governor, being elected as Governor of New Hampshire from 1997 to 2003 and U.S. Senator in New Hampshire in, in 2009. Wow. All right, we're moving on to 2010. Okay. But that was only 2009? Yeah, that was just 2009. Oh, my God. Catherine Bigelow, so the one in 2009 that won the Directors Guild Award, um, was the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Director, the BAFTA Award for Best Direction, and the Critics' Choice Award for Best Direction, all for The Hurt Locker. That's awesome. Jennifer Groovitz was the first woman to lead a large Jewish federation in America. She specifically led the Jewish Community Federation based in San Francisco. That that was it for 2010. <laughs> There's I mean, one thing in 2011. Slowing down. Slowing down a so bit. So 2011, Angela Reed was the first female White House chief usher. All right. 2012 is a long one. A lot of shit happened. Because that was the year everyone thought the world was going to end. So right? everyone was getting it done. So 2012, <laughs> United Nations passes a resolution banning, not banning, banning female genital mutilation. <gasps> The terror and and unfortunate reality of young girls up to the age of 15 having their genitals mutilated came to a screeching halt in 2012, at least on paper, when the United Nations called on citizens worldwide to stop the practice, which has been most common in countries throughout Asia, the Middle East, and Africa, affecting as many as 200 million girls and women. Oh, my God. Thanks to increased awareness of this physical and emotionally scarring practice, February 6th was named International Day of Zero Tolerance. I didn't know that. But, yeah, I know. I read that and I was like, oh, that's not good. We're gonna have to I mean, it's good that we passed it, but it's not good that that's happening. Yeah, no. And I mean, I've, I've heard about female genital mutilation. The problem that is, I didn't realize that the UN had kind of... Put, yeah, they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's the first step. I, I don't know if it stopped anything. Right. But, but at least there's, like they said, higher awareness of it. They're trying to snuff it out, which yeah. is good. God, I need to like cross my legs really tightly now. Moving on, Elizabeth McDonough was the first female appointed as parliamentarian of the United States Senate. Mm. Janet Wolfenbarger was the first female four-star general in the U.S. Air Force. Go get it, girl. I mean, 2012, that, that took a while. Yeah. But I suppose women, no, 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 women in the military. Uh, <laughs> Katy Perry was the first female artist in history to have five consecutive number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100 for one album, thus awarding her the Billboard Spotlight Award. Katy Perry? Yeah. I, what were the songs? It doesn't say. I mean... Uh, I didn't delve into it. We can look it up later. I Kissed a Girl, Firework. Well, they would have been from the same album. Were those two on the same album? Oh, fuck. I, I don't know. know. Was it um, the one where she's on a cloud? Probably. Because that was lit. Shannon Easton was the first woman to officiate a National Football League game in a preseason matchup between the Green Bay Packers and the San Diego Chargers. New Hampshire elects the first all-woman congressional delegation in U.S. history with U.S. Senators Jeanne Shaheen and Kelly Ayotte and U.S. Representative Carol Shea Porter and Anne McLean Custer. What what was that for? New Hampshire elects the first all-woman congressional delegation. So everyone that that won for... Everyone... That one for Congress in New Hampshire was a woman. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Go New Hampshire. 2013. 
Danica Patrick, which I actually recognize that name, mm-hmm. was the first woman to win a pole in the Daytona 500 in a NASCAR Monster Energy Cup series. Get it, Danica. Danica Patrick was the first woman to lead the Daytona 500. Keep getting it, Danica. Yeah. <laughs> Rosie Napranavic rode the Philly unlimited budget to a sixth place finish in the 2013 Belmont, becoming the first women woman sorry to ride all three Triple Crown races in the same year. Damn. Davy Jane Gilmore was the first woman to lead the board of directors for Little League. Cool. Ashley Friedberg was the first woman to claim an overall GT3 Cup Challenge victory in North America, winning the Porsche IMSA GT3 Cup Challenge. Racing. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, UFC, I think, I like, I think it's, it's racing. racing. Uh, UFC 157, which took place in February of 2013, featured not only the first women's fight in UFC history, but also the first UFC event headlined by two female fighters, Ron- Ronda Rousey and Liz Carmouche. Sorry if I said that wrong. I remember seeing Ronda Rousey in like, uh, there was a WWE thing. And yeah. it was like, oh, fuck. I don't think she was WWE, was she? I no, thought she was no, UFC. She, she's MMA, but she like made a guest appearance with ah, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It nice. was awesome because she was wearing a tank top that had Vegeta on it. It said yes. over 9,000. And I was like, great. who is this woman and how can I be your best friend? Right? Rabbi Deborah Waxman was elected as the president of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. As the president, she is believed to have been the first woman and first lesbian to lead a Jewish congregational union. Union and the first female rabbi and first lesbian to lead a Jewish seminary. RRC is both a congressional union and a seminary. Get it, girl. Julia Morgan was the first woman to receive the American Institute of Architects gold medal, which she received posthumously. Oh, that's the shit that gets me. I'm like, why can't people be alive to enjoy the praise? Right. On March 1st, 2013, Privateers owner and President Nicole Kiernan served as the team's coach for the first time, making her the first woman to coach a professional hockey team in the United States. I love all the women in professional sports. Because, like, I don't follow sports, so a lot of this I'm just kind of, like, just nod and smile. But that's awesome because that's been such a male-dominated field for so long. That's why it's, you know, in the 2000s, the 21st century, that it's taking women to be the leader, like coaches erica schmidt was the first female director of the chicago institute for psychoanalysis Ooh, yeah that one hits home right here she's like your best friend i know right we gotta find her on instagram (laughs) mia ham was the first woman inducted to the world football hall of fame in pahuka mexico is that that uh soccer then yes nice i actually know me like i recognize that name i'm like yep she's a soccer player (laughs) uh general motors named mary Barra as its first female CEO and the and the first female CEO of a major major automaker. Deborah Rudder was named as the first female president of the Kennedy Center. Space. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Joey following, Eller following Catherine's footsteps. Right. Jody Eller was the first woman to complete the 1,515 mile Florida circumnavigational saltwater paddle paddling trial. Oh my god, that's a mouthful. Yeah. How do they put that on a shirt? I don't know. Or a trophy. <laughs> F-C-S-P-T. That's almost harder to say. I know. <laughs> the American Council of the Blind voted unanimously to elect Kim Charlson as its president, making her the first female president of a major national blindness consumer advocacy organization. Cool. Lauren Silberman. I had to double check that there was actually an S in that. Silberman <laughs> was the first woman to try out at an NFL regional scouting combine, and thus the first woman to try out for the NFL. She tried out as a kicker. Unfortunately, she did not succeed. But she tried out. 
You know, I remember having a conversation with my mom years ago about why there were no women yeah, playing why, football. I remember being like, why can't I play football? I never wanted to play. It seemed really boring because they just like wrestle for three seconds and then wanna, stand around I didn't want to get minutes. injured. Yeah. It's the same reason I never joined rugby. <laughs> That's super cool. Good for her. And you know what? Here's the thing. She's going to be the first one to try out and then we're going to see the first woman to play. Exactly. Vanessa O'Brien became the first woman to climb the highest peak on each continent, also known as the Seven Summits. Damn. In the shortest period of time, 295 days, resulting in a Guinness World Record. Damn. All right, moving on to 2014. Oh, my God. Was that all 2013? Yes. <laughs> Fuck. We're, we're revving back up. We had a lull, but now we're Sorry going. Uh, Janet Yellen was confirmed by the Senate as the first woman to lead the Federal Reserve. The first woman competed in ski jumping at the Olympics, including three American women, Lindsey Vann, Jessica Jerome, and Sarah Hendrickson. Lauren Williams was the first American woman, women, woman, woman, to win a medal in both the Summer and Olympic Games. Jennifer Welter was the first woman non-kicker or place kick holder to play a men's pro football game. She played running back for the Texas Revolution. Oh, so it's wow. not like NFL level, but yeah. it's pro football still. That's awesome. Michelle J. Howard began her assignment as the U.S. Navy's first female and first female African-American four-star admiral. Get it, girl. Michelle Roberts was elected as the new executive director of the National Basketball Players Association, making her the first woman elected to the highest position of a major U.S. sports players association. During the two weeks, during the two-week NBA Summer League in Las Vegas, Natalie Nakase was an assistant coach for the Clippers, becoming the first woman to sit on the bench as an NBA assistant. Nice. Becky Hammond became the first full-time female coach in the NBA. And as the first fe- full-time female coach and the first full-time female coach. Oh, in any of the four major professional sports. There's a lot of sports. Anne B. France won the inaugural Landmark Award for Outstanding Contributions to NASCAR. That's kind of cool that the first person to win that award was a woman. <laughs> Katie Higgins was the first female pilot to join the Blue Angels, which is the United States Navy's flight demonstration squad. That's fucking awesome. Uh, Dr. Connie McCaw became the first American woman and the first Mississippi doctor inducted to the, into the American Academy of Ophthalmology's Hall of Fame. It hits close to home to you, too, because you have glasses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Susan Morrison was named the first female executive pastry chef at the White House. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, man, I want some White House pastries. Megan Smith was named the first female chief technology officer of the United States. Megan Brennan was named the first female United States postmaster general. All right, 2015. There's only two on this year. Jennifer Welter became the first American woman hired to coach in men's pro football when the Texas Revolution of the Champions Indoor Football League announced that Welter was hired to coach linebackers and special teams. Didn't she pop up before? Yeah, I think she was the one that played as a linebacker. Oh, okay. The U.S. Senate confirmed Michelle K. Lee as the Undersecretary of Commerce for the Intellectual Property and Director of the United States Patent and Trademark Office. She is the first woman and the first person of color to lead the USPTO. Nice. 2016. 2016 was a rough year. Taylor Swift became the first woman to win Album of the Year twice. I love that Katy Perry and Taylor Swift made it on this fucking list, especially since they get shit on, like, especially Taylor Swift. Oh, I know. Which, it's funny. Like, here's the thing. I'm not like a, I'm not like a Tay Swift super fan or anything. But like, not Tay Swift. Oh, well, clearly I'm not a super (laughs) fan because I don't even know her fucking name. But like, 
she gets shit on for writing music about heartbreak and it's like oh who's gonna end up in her next song and shit like that i'm like okay adele men write about heartbreak too adele writes incredible music about heartbreak and everyone loves it right and then men write about heartbreak all the time and it's like not a big know, deal like, so it's just, just her getting shit on it's because it. it's like pop yeah okay moving on <laughs> hillary clinton was formally nominated as the 2016 democratic national convention being the first woman nominated for president by a major u.s political party obviously we know how that came <laughs> hillary clinton became the first woman to win the popular vote in the united states pre- presidential election you know, and she still didn't get president. That's let's, absolutely let's, right, but I never thought of it let's, that way. Let's not. Yeah. 2016 was a rough year. I need some yeah. good news. Carla Hayden um, became the first female librarian of Congress. My mom was a librarian. That's awesome. Kellyanne Conway became the first woman to run a successful presidential campaign. So she must have been. She was she running Trump's, Trump's campaign. Trump's campaign. Yeah. No, because she's still working yeah. with them. Faith Spotted Eagle became the first Native American and second woman to receive an electoral vote for president, which she received from a faithless elector. What does that mean? I don't know. Okay. I'm assuming someone that doesn't identify with a major faith. Get it, girl. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, that's kind of cool. General Lori Robinson became the first female officer to command command a major unified combatant command in the history of the U.S. Armed Forces. Adina Friedman became the first female CEO of NASDAQ. 2017. I'm trying to like. Yep. <laughs> Saudi Arabia lifts the ban on female drivers. Yes. Imagine, imagine being a woman in the Middle Eastern country and needing a man to drive you for simple errands like picking up groceries at the market or visiting is visiting a friend. The fall of 2017 saw the Saudi Arabian government lift the ban on female drivers and take effect in June 2018. You know, I was actually thinking about this the other day in countries where you need a man to accompany you. I'm like... Dudes don't want to go grocery shopping with us. Right. They don't want to drive us around. The, what the, the This doesn't make sense. The next one's even more pertinent. 2017, India rules sex with minors illegal. Thank God. It's, it's a sign of modernization in India that the Supreme Court ruled in October that, that they deemed rape with a female under the age of 18, even if the minor is a child bride, illegal. Thank Further, God. Further, being charged with this crime can result in a 10-year prison sentence. This ruling helps discourage the tradition of child brides and speaks to the country's attempt to create more equal marriages, age-wise, at the very least. Yeah. Lebanon repeals the law that sided with male rapists. Thank God. It's hard to believe, but until the summer of 2017, a male rapist in Lebanon could be exonerated if he married his rape victim. Oh, so like Artemisia's situation. Yeah. You gotta in, get married. In August in August of 2017, Lebanon's parliament finally repealed that ancient law at the urging of the women's rights act- act- activists, not only in Lebanon, but around the world. This shit is not given. It is fought for. Right? Remember that always. Peggy Winston broke the record for most total days spent in space by, a na- by any NASA astronaut. Oh my god! Danica Patrick, whoo, she's oh, back. She's a threefer. Became... The first woman to lead the Coca-Cola 600. Vanessa O'Brien became the first woman to summit K2, the second tallest mountain. Okay, we're in 2018. Getting there. Iceland requires fair pay for women. Some countries talk a good game about equal pay for women, but Iceland made it a law of the land. Early in 2018, Iceland became the first country in the world to make it illegal, resulting in a fine to pay men and women in the same job differently. One major difference between this law and the Equal Pay Act in the United States is that the burden is no longer on the employee to make this claim. Gina Haspel became the first woman to be director of the Central Intelligence Agency. 
Yeah, woman run CIA. I think I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I think so too. Stacey Cunningham became the first female president of the New York Stock Exchange. Ellie Morrison became the first woman elected first woman elected national commissioner of the Boy Scouts of America. Wow. Likewise, she became the first woman to hold a position in the Boy Scouts key three, consisting of the national commissioner, the chief scout executive, and the national chair. So like the top three cheeses. Okay. Yep. Carla Provost became the first female chief of the United States Border Patrol. Deb Holland of New Mexico and Sharice David of Kansas became the first Native American women to be elected to Congress. Get it, girl! And 2019, Nancy Pelosi became the first woman to be re-elected as Speaker of the United States House. All right. There you go, that's it. And 2019 is to be determined. TBD, guys. All right. Keep it going. 20 minutes. <laughs> My second segment, because I'm not as special as Emily and didn't do anything about her, which I feel now feel ta- terrible about. That was the point. <laughs> hey, um, I did the top 10 women of the 21st century. Okay. So I did this as a compilation of multiple lists of, like, top women of the 21st century. So this is in, like, no particular order. Like, I'm not like, oh, yeah, this person's the best person. Yeah, we're not counting down to number one and being like, she makes all these other women look like bitches. This yeah. isn't a competition. No, this is just, I threw this together. Okay. So Ellen DeGeneres, born January 26, 1958. She's 61. She's um, 60? 61. Well, in her 60s. Damn, she looks yeah. good. So according to a poll by Vanity Magazine in 2015, Ellen DeGeneres did more to influence American attitudes in regard to gay rights than any other celebrity. The talk show host came out as gay in 1997 and did, and so did her character on her sitcom, sitcom Ellen. Obviously, she is openly lesbian and married to her wife, Portia de Rossi. She, they married in 20, 2018 when California legalized same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a comedian, television host, actress, writer, and producer. She's also an icon for LGBTQIA. A, thank you. People. She is also an active member of the Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays and spokesperson for the Human Rights Campaign's Coming Out Project. That's awesome. All right. DeGeneres has hosted the Academy Awards, Grammy Awards, and the Primetime Emmys. She's actually hosted the Emmys twice, both times after national major crises. The first time was after 9-11, and the second time was after Hurricane Katrina. Oh, my God. Guys, something really bad happened. Get the funny lesbian. Yeah, right. We need yeah. a funny lesbian <laughs> stat. Um, she has authored four books and started her own record company called 1111. She also has a production company called A Very Good Production. Um, she's also recently light- launched a lifestyle brand, which is in Walmart, because I was looking at it today because most of her clothes are under $30, and some of them are ridiculously cute. Um, she's got an eye, man. Yep, and her brand is called E.D. Ellen DeGeneres, um, which is apparel, accessories, home, babies, and pet items. She has won a total of 30 Emmys, 29 for daytime TV and one in primetime, 21 People's Choice Awards, which is more than any other person. And numerous other awards for her work and charitable efforts. The number of date, the number of Emmys, particularly daytime Emmys she's won, has made her considered by many the daytime Emmy juggernaut. Oh damn! And recently, in 2016, she won the Presidential Medal Medal of Freedom, aka the United States' highest civilian honor, which Barack Obama presented to her. Wow, I didn't know that. I know, neither did I. We follow her on Instagram too. How have I, I not know. like heard about that? I love her show. <laughs> Um, yeah, you right. were the one that followed her. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so the next person is Ai Jin Poo. She was born in 1974, so she's 45 years old. 
She's a driving, she was, a, she was, and I assume still is, a driving force behind the worker-led movement Domestic Workers United, which is a citywide multiracial organization of domestic workers in New York City. The organization's campaigns have led to better conditions for domestic workers, raised awareness on economic contributions that domestic workers provide, helped get legal representation for abused workers. The puppies are really excited and, about all of And work. crafted a framework of legal standards for these workers. Damn. Igen is a 2014 MacArthur Genius Fellow. What? Yep. Time 100 alumni and has been featured at United States of Women's Summit, Aspen Ideas Festival, Obama Foundation Summit, and the Women's Convention. She has been an influential voice in the the Me Too movement and participated in the Time's Up action at the 2018 Global Golden Globes. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, Time, and CNN. She's author of a book called The Age of Dignity, Preparing for the Elder Bloom Boom in a Changing America. Because she, a lot of her work also has to deal with, um, like, caretaking. Right. Both, from both sides. The caretakers and the people that need to be taken care of. That's awesome. A quote from Time Magazine's top 100 most influential people of 2012 on her is, quote, Pooh has organized domestic workers, nannies, and housekeepers across the United States in 19 cities in 11 states. A 2.5 million strong labor force, predominantly comprised of women who are excluded from most labor laws. Pooh's activism has been crucial in changing laws to protect domestic workers. Pooh's recognized as being one of the most influential people in the world, end quote. That is, how, how is she one of the most influential people in the world? I've never heard of her. Right. You know why? Because she's a woman fighting for women. Okay, some of these people I've never heard of, and I'm like, I feel like I should have heard of you. We, like, you're doing a really good job summarizing their stuff, but some of these women might need to get their own episode. This person, I think, does, because I've never heard of her, but I feel like I should have. Her name is, I don't know if it's Malele or Malala. Malala. Malala Yousafzai. Yep, that's what we're going with. I thought Malala Yousaf? And then it's Z-A-I at the end. Yousafzia? Sure. I, oh man, I realize we're I don't just gonna know go with Malala. I know who you're talking about, though. An advocate. She's an advocate for women's rights, education rights, and won the no- Nobel Peace Prize at the age of 17, making her the youngest person to ever win it. So, like I said, she is known for her human rights advocacy, especially the education of women and children in her native Swat Valley in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa in northern Pakistan, where the local Taliban had has at times banned girls from attending school. Being a children and women's rights activist, Malala has stood up for women and children's rights ever since she was a child. She started her activism for the first time on September 2008 when she was 12, when her father took her to Peshawar to a local press club in which she gave a speech titled, How Dare the Taliban Take Away My Basic Right to Education. Wow, that's very to the point. This caused the Taliban to issue a death threat because of her activism. On the 9th of October, 2012, while on a bus in the SWAT district after taking an exam, Malala and two other girls were shot by the Taliban gunmen in an assassination attempt in retaliation for her activism. The gunmen fled the scene. She was hit in the head with a bullet and remained unconscious and in critical condition at the Rawalpindi Institute of Cardiology. Her condition later improved enough for her to be transferred to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in the Birmingham, UK. And the attempt on her life sparked an international outpouring of support for her. And on her 16th birthday in 2013, she gave a speech for the United Nations to call for worldwide access education. And even the United Nations called the event Malala Day 
And then the following year is when she was granted the Nobel Peace Prize. That's amazing. Her story is mind-blowing. Yeah, I don't know too much about it, so I might end up doing her. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next one. Oprah Winfrey. I This one I left really short because I feel like most people are going to know who she is. Wait, how, how do you say that? Oprah? I will punch you. <laughs> um, she was born January 29th, 1954, so she is 65 years old. Um, she's the first African-American female billionaire and has had a significant influence on American culture since her time as a television talk show host. She's played a key role in the emergence of Barack Obama as a presidential candidate and continues to be politically active. The Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History and Culture is holding an exhibition titled Watching Oprah, The Oprah Winfrey Show, and American Culture. Oh, my God. People who didn't grow up watching Oprah Winfrey are deprived. Right. And that's actually literally all I've written on her because, I feel like I said, I feel like... We all know who Oprah is. Everyone knows who Oprah is. You know who Oprah is. You know who Oprah (laughs) is. Just look under your chair. (laughs) I want a free car. I know. Um, So next is Judith Butler. She was born February 24th, 1956. She's 63 years of age. She is a philosopher and gender theorist who has written influential books on feminist and gay topics. Her books, such as Gender Trouble, Feminism, and the Subversion of Identity, and Bodies That Matter on the Decursive Limits of Sex, challenges conventions about gender. A quote I found about her was, Her work on performativity has transformed how we think about gender, sexuality, and identity. Her philosophical thought has been influential not only in feminist and queer theory, but also in many fields, including the visual arts, psychology, political theory, and literary and film criticism. That's amazing. We need more of that. She's also a lesbian. Not that it matters, but I just thought I'd tuck that in at the end. Representation's important. Lesbians are out there getting it done. Number six, Beyonce. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Beehive. Um, September, she was born September 4th, 1981. She's 37 years old. God, she's so young. I thought she was at least like in her forties. Right. Not not saying anything bad about it. No, no, it's not even that. It's just I remember her as part of Destiny's Child. I'm like, wasn't she already like thirty? Um so in case you didn't know, Beyonce has more Grammy nominations at a total of sixty six. So nominations, not necessarily wins. Still. Than any other female performer. She has won twenty two times. She's an icon for feminism and African-American culture. She dipped her toe into politics at the at Super Bowl 50 when she had her backup singers dressed in, in black with black berets and afros to protest racial injustice. Love it. So as I'm guessing most people know, <laughs> she's a famous pop singer, songwriter, and access, actress, starting her career with a the girl trio Destiny's Child. The group became one of the best-selling groups of all time, and in 2013, Beyoncé started her solo career as a singer with her debut album, Dangerously in Love. As a solo artist, she has sold over 17 million albums in the U.S. and over 100 million records in the worldwide, with a further 60 million if you include Destiny's Child. So 160 million total if you include her solo career and Destiny's Child. So that makes her one of the best-selling music artists of all time. She has, like I said, 22 Grammy Awards, both as a solo artist and a member of Destiny's Child, She's, which makes her the second most honored female artist by the Grammys behind Alison Krauss and the most nominated woman in the Grammys. She didn't want no scrub and she did not settle. Right. Her recent visual album, Lemonade, telling about feminism and black culture along with elements of betrayal, anger, revenge, and forgiveness, with one of the song's music video, Formation, receiving mixed responses for its alleged anti-police stance 
But yes, yet most of the critics praise the song and the album, saying that it's powerful and empowering. All right, number seven. I know we're cutting close. We have someone doing a YouTube live stream after us in our studio, so I'm like <laughs> trying to go. He Just wait. all the feminism you can handle right now, right yeah, here. Right now. Go, 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 go. Number seven, J.K. Rowling. Oh, Rowling, my God. Sorry. July 31st, 1965, so she's 53. She emerged from relative poverty in the United Kingdom to become the world's, mo- world's first billionaire author as the creator of Harry Potter. Her influence was such that she was a runner-up as Time Magazine's Person of the Year in 2007 because her books had been such an inspiration to fans. She has sold over more, more than 400 million copies worldwide and won numerous awards for the series. She has become one of the most successful and influential novelists. Aside from her literary work, Rowling has established and contributed to charitable, charitable organizations to fight poverty and social inequality throughout the world. The succeeding books have become some of the most beloved and successful successful, 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 and controversial in the world. She is the first person in the world to become a billionaire just from authoring books. Since becoming so wealthy, Rowling has donated funds to several different charities, especially in areas of poverty and to multiple sclerosis, which is the disease her mother died from. Oh, God. Um, Her contributions, as well as her volunteer work, have been an example to millions of young readers. All right. Number eight. Ioanni Marie Sanchez Cordero. September 4th, 1975. She's 43 years old. She is a Cuban journalist and entrepreneur who gained notoriety and fans such as President Barack Obama for writing critically about Cuban daily life. She depicts life on the island nation through her blog, Generacion Y, that is translated into 17 languages. She overcomes censorship by emailing her blog to friends living outside of Cuba who then post them online. That's fucking awesome. So, like I said, she's not allowed to work openly as a journalist, um, but she has persistently and covertly published unbridled observations and reports about her native Cuba via the internet. She won the Ortega and Gasset Journalism Award in Spain, but was forbidden to travel to the ceremony. Oh, bullshit. Generacion Y is a window into the socialist state complete with propaganda campaigns and highly restricted access to outside news sources. Having Having lived in Switzerland for two years because of disillusionment and economic frustration, Sanchez gained exposure to outside sources of news and history, which no doubt have allowed her to compare life and politics in Cuba to that of other nations. Yeah. the Those two years allowed her to be able to learn the skills needed to build a blog, a blog that she now uses to share the struggles of her, of her people with the rest of the world filter-free. Number That's nine. amazing. <laughs> Laverne Cox. Um, <gasps> Yay! May 29th, 1972, age 46. So Laverne Cox is one of the highest profile figures in the dr- transgender community. Um, she plays a transgender character on the Netflix series Orange is the New Black and does much advocacy work on behalf of her community. Cox has played other transgender characters on the television, appearing in 2008 VH1 show I Want to Work for Diddy. I'm assuming they mean P. Diddy. It was like um, The Apprentice, yeah, but for P. Diddy. <laughs> she is the first transgender woman of color to appear on a reality TV show. She's also a TV producer and obviously an LGBTQ IA. IA. It's because I all these it's... sites only put LGBT. So yeah, I was like, no, I always and... try and remember the last two letters. And here, here's the thing. I think just saying LGBT is appropriate. I just, 
I like to stick in the IA because I because I remember it. It's right? like it's become my habit. LGBTQIA. Yeah. So she became for Orange is the New Black, where she plays Sophia Bursett. She became the first openly transgender person to be nominated for a primetime Emmy Award and the first to be nominated for an Emmy Award since composer slash musician Angela Morley in 1990. Damn. In 2015, she became the first openly transgender person to have a wax figure of herself at Madame Trousseau's. Yes! In 2017, she became the first tra- transgender person to play a transgender series regular on broadcast TV as Cameron Worth on Doubt on CBS. Her impact and prominence in the media have led to a growing conversation about transgender people, specifically transgender women, and how it intersects with one's race and identity. Mm-hmm. She is the first transgender person to be on the cover of Time magazine. And in 2016, Cox was awarded an honorary doctorate from the New York School in New York City for her progressive work in the fight of gender equality. Representation's fucking important. Right. And I love her. All right. Number 10, Michelle Obama. All right. So she was born January 17th, 1964. She's 55 years old. She is a, a lawyer and writer who was also the first lady of the United States from 2009 to 2017. She was married to, or she is still married <laughs> to the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama. She's also an advocate for poverty awareness, nutrition, physical activity, and healthy eating. Her political and activism works as first lady are really inspiring. Some initiatives she, she set about when she was first lady included ag- advocating on behalf of military families, helping working women balance career and family, encouraging national service, and promoting the arts and arts education. In 2014, she joined the campaign to bring back schoolgirls who had been kidnapped in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. In 2010, Obama, Michelle Obama undertook her first lead role in an administration-wide initiative, which she named Let's Move, to make progress in reversing the 21st century trend in childhood obesity. She also is a major supporter of the LGBTQIA, AI, IA, okay, rights and same-sex marriage, in which she said, quote, This is an important issue for millions of Americans and for Barack and me. It really comes down to the values of fairness and equality we want to pass down to our girls. These are basic values that kids learn at a very young age and that we encourage encourage them to apply all areas of their lives. And in a country where we teach our children that everyone is equal under the law, discriminating against same-sex couples just isn't right. It's as plain as that. End quote. A fucking men. So that was my 10. But I want to put in a number 11, which is women and girls everywhere. Aww. This is a quote from one of the sources um, that I found and I really like. Unnamed and often unrecognized, many women and girls put their bodies and their lives at risk every day, fighting for social injustice in small and big ways to make lives of other women and girls better. Along with a more just world for us all, any list of the most influential women must include all of those who remain unnamed. End quote. I love that. Because everyone is incapable of acting cha- enacting change. And as we've said, empowered women empower women. The influential power to change things in our generation is unlimited. We are the future and therefore are in control of what we want the future to look like. All of these issues concerning gender and race equality, discrimination and terrorism are current problems that are still affecting our world today. And it is up to us to bring it to an end. Don't underestimate yourself and remember, as um, this is another quote, as Amelia Earhart once said, quote, the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity, end quote. So just remember that 
any list that includes strong women includes you. That was so fucking beautiful. I'm going to cry now. But seriously, if you need to hear that today, you are so capable and you can just do just whatever the, the hell last, you want. Just repeat the last like 30 seconds. Yeah, just that's amazing. All right. So I don't know if we have to do a thankfulness. I know we're running out of time here. So I think we can just say we're thankful for episode 10. Yeah, and we're thankful for our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Please email us at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. Tell us about the the underknown women in your life who's probably never going to get a wiki page or end up on one of those lists. We want to hear about them because they are just as fucking valid as the women that we cover. We'll be your wiki page. We will be your wiki page. <laughs> Hit us up on Instagram at Pod. Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Connect with us. Follow us. Share our stuff. Please rate us and review us wherever you listen. We want to hear from you. And we fucking love you. Yeah. And thank you. And please check episodes. out our blog. Please check out our blog. At whiningabouthistory.com. Um, so I always post about our episodes. And now I'm doing the dinner pieces. And there'll be more to come when I'm done with that. Kelly does amazing work with that blog. Please check Aww. it out. Emily does amazing work with our editing. So yeah, she it, makes me look good <laughs> or sound good. I guess we say um like all the time, and you don't fucking you don't hear know. it <laughs> unless I can't edit it out, and then it just makes it sound natural. Right, exactly. So thank you so much for listening. Episode ten. Here's to the next ten and the ten Woo! after that. And as always, have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.